0: This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Every week, we review an episode of the Cult Classic time travel series and decide whether it holds up to present-day viewing, and hopefully, we'll entertain you along the way. Be sure to check us out on our website, fwwquantumleappod.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Fate's Wide Wheel. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey. Hello, everybody.
1: Hello. Welcome to Fates Wide Wheel. Uh, we are back. Um, today, we're going to talk about Memphis Melody. But before we dive into that, uh, happy belated Thanksgiving to everyone. We're recording this the day after Thanksgiving 2020. Um, our intent, quite frankly, was to be done by now. Our our intent was to have released Mirror Image and, you know, cried the tears, laughed the laughs, and... uh and just soaked in the glory of having completed this journey, but life yes. certainly stepped in. Life, so
0: Dennis, COVID, yeah.
1: Do you want to share? Do you want to share any of your past couple of weeks worth of adventures? Yeah.
0: So um, we had uh, both of our kids in daycare, and uh, which is uh, yeah, there's a lot to be said about that. It was a calculated risk on our part, just because of our uh, Betsy and I working from home. Uh, difficult to get any work done with with kids around. Anyway, uh, but their daycare shut down for a couple of weeks because of uh, COVID related issues. So this last week we were going to knock out these last couple episodes, but we had the kids at home while Betsy was working. So yeah, that kind of that kind of knocked out our plans of uh, of finishing off.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and may
0: and more yeah. may have happened in that pandemic brain and everything. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs>
1: sure. Right. Yeah, I mean it's definitely it's definitely been um, just a crazy few weeks. I think um, for the country as a whole, between the election, um, everything you know, post election uh, politically speaking, and then naturally when you look uh, at the, the health. Uh, of our country, um, beyond that, literally the physical health of our country, uh, it's not been great. It's not been great. And we've seen, um, you know, everything that we were hoping to avoid, um, over these past six, eight months, um, coming to fruition with hospitals being overtaxed again. And, um, you know, with, uh, certain cities in our country literally having to call in the National Guard to help with morgue registrations um, you know we we saw the second highest number of cases reported uh, in the country yesterday we saw the second highest uh, number of deaths in one day reported I think two or three days ago so it, it and there's no telling what unfortunately the holiday yesterday and and the rest of this weekend will will bring us come you know a week two weeks from now um, I know a lot of uh, health experts are, are suggesting that about three weeks from now we could see an, a, an all new peak and um, that of course people are going to be looking forward to Christmas and trying to kind of carry on like, like nothing is is different but we, we know that to not be true and obviously it's hit very close to home for both of us um, yeah. my father w- was um, diagnosed as being positive luckily everything turned out fine he's already back to his, his normal uh, room um, at the facility that he that he lives at right now and uh, but it's you know it's 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 had a huge impact um, and, and, and 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 just touched so many lives that those that continue to kind of act ignorant of it all um, it really it's just really hard to wrap my head around and it's hard for me to be gracious about it because it has had such a direct impact on myself and, and so many people that I, I know and love so yeah um, but we
0: uh yeah, I would, well, I, would, I, would I, yeah, I would be remiss if I would be remiss if I didn't say also in and everything that I just mentioned a couple minutes ago. Uh Betsy was also positive too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I didn't know if you wanted to mention that or not, so that's why I didn't say anything, but no, I was just sure. Like, yeah.
0: yeah. No, uh like I said, pandemic brain. Luckily she had a very uh she had a very mild case, but between yeah, between us having kids at home and she even ended up like taking a couple uh days off of work and, and just yeah, resting at home. So um like I said, yeah, luckily very mild but still. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah. And everything you just it's 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 hard to be gracious about it right now. Um and also I think we are we're past the point in the pandemic where early on, you know, you could you could say like, oh I'm grateful for like uh, you know the extra time for reflection or for quarantine or you know getting a new skill or whatever, but I think before this is all over with um, everyone is going to be directly touched by it we 're all going to know someone who had either a very serious case or or someone who who has passed away from it so i think I think we 're past the point of trying to find the silver linings right in the in the you know in this uh in this pandemic. But that being said, maybe we can bring you a little uh, joy and some distraction during this time.
1: Yeah, I, that's certainly been the hope. And, and we've, you know, honestly, we have had a few folks um, say just that, which has been really, really gratifying and, and really nice. In fact, we had a really lovely message um, from a, a new ish listener, um, Sebi Ravi. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, sent us a really nice message yesterday, and uh, you know we're just really, really appreciative of, of all the listeners right now, and um, you know anyone who's obviously taking the time to to say something to us directly, uh, it's really cool of you. But even folks that are just hitting the download button and you know not interacting at all, um, we appreciate that, and, and we hope that you're enjoying the ride as much as we are because. As we now are here to cover the penultimate episode of the series, there, there are genuinely a lot of emotions and, and thoughts uh, that I'm having as, as we approach the final episode, um, and I think we can talk about it more Next time when we do cover the final episode, but there's there's this weird sense of accomplishment and, and relief and joy and sorrow and it's kind of you know all the things. Anytime you finish something, I think you you know you can't help but be so very happy about it. But then of course you also realize that this thing that you've worked on and you've had so much enjoyment doing is is now going to be you know not necessarily completely over. We certainly have plans to continue going, but but not quite the same.
0: Yeah, you know? It's going to, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, real life has gotten in the way of us recording, but you know, sometimes I think like I, I put off, you know, recording like the final few episodes, especially the final episode, because like doing the final episode justice. Um, and, and we've talked about it before. I feel, uh, I, I hate that, you know, we used to have a really good track record of getting guests on the show. And now just because of, of life and pandemic and not being able to record in person, we don't do that much. Anymore And uh, I hate that So at some point, even if we don't do it for the final episode I want to find a reason to get uh, some of our old guest stars back in To uh, yeah. to talk some leap So yeah, because we've got the novels, we've got the comics We have the, uh, the failed, attempted reboot of the early aughts The soft reboot uh, And of course, I mean, we, we could always do like uh, I think maybe like... Um, one of our first episodes after we wrap up the, the TV episodes is just do a retrospective of like rank our top 10 episodes. Having rewatched the episodes now? Um, right. you know, cause I feel like there, there are some episodes I appreciate a lot more having going back and rewatched them as an adult.
1: I, I would totally agree with that. I would totally agree with that. And I think that the thing that surprised me because I already started thinking about that very question, you know, what are my top 10 and, uh, Uh, it surprised me that some of the episodes that we watched along the way that I was such a huge fan of and some of the episodes that maybe I had always loved but slightly cooled towards because I was enjoying watching these other episodes that I was rediscovering in a new way you know kind of like what you were just saying um that a couple of those old favorites still jumped to the top of the list you know that I was just kind of like I can't help but not put that up there. So, it'll be interesting to have that discussion. I really look forward to to hearing what your what your choices are. Um, I do however think it's safe to say that one of those choices will most likely not be Memphis Melody. <laughs> and that and, is not and that and is not segue. to say that, no, yes. that this episode doesn't have, you know, it's it's charm. Yeah. But you know, it's a very interesting episode in the context of the series as a whole, in the context of the final season. Um, you know, it's obviously uh, gimmicky, um, you know, right up there with our Marilyn Monroe episode and our Civil War episode and our, you know, and so on and so forth. It's, you know, it definitely fits that that gimmicky theme that the season has had. Um I do. I do. Ultimately, though, I think that it ends up being a little bit of a missed opportunity, much like our our, our Marla Monroe episode was. Um, although I might actually put that one above this one.
0: I have thoughts. I have thoughts. Right. wish Yeah, dip in and... Let's not, let's not do it. Gild the lily is that the is that the right <laughs> use of that phrase? Yeah,
1: that, that works for me. So uh, here we are. We're talking about Memphis Melody, uh, directed by James Whitmore Jr. Uh, of course, someone we're very familiar with. He, he's worked on the show as a producer and director multiple times before, um, and you know we saw him most recently uh, directing uh, uh, the trilogy episodes. Um, he's got a total of fifteen uh, under his belt, going all the way back to Jimmy and other episodes. Episodes that that certainly stand out include um Eight and a Half Months, A Leap for Lisa, Lee Harvey Oswald, and, and as I said, the aforementioned trilogy. He will of course also go on to direct to the final episode, um, Mirror Image which we will be speaking about next time. Uh, our writer is Robin Bernheim, um, credited as Robin and Jill Bernheim. Of course, someone else that we've seen, producer on the show this season, um, and uh, a writer uh, as well. Um, she most recently had written Dr. Ruth, uh, as well as Tale of Two Sweeties Deliver Us from Evil and Leaping of the Shrew. Uh, Excuse me. Our air date is April the 20th, 1993. Our leap date is July 3rd, 1954. Sam has leapt into Elvis Aaron Presley, and we are, of course, in Memphis, Tennessee.
0: Yeah. TV Guide description. TV Guide. Uh, Oh, here we go. (laughs) History might get all shook up when Sam takes the form of Elvis, who's on the verge of being discovered. Um we got to forgive TV Guide because they're not the only ones guilty of some bad Elvis title puns here. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah.
1: I mean, let's face it. Even in 1993, I think almost every Elvis pun that you could possibly make had already been used up. Yeah. You know, like. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) You couldn't really break any ground, you know.
0: You could not. Yeah. Uh, Then,
1: much less now.
0: Yeah. other, Other countries in Germany, this was known as Elvis's first hit. Pretty good. That's respectable. I like that. Uh, In France, it was simply known as Memphis Melody. And in Italy, this is my favorite one. Oh, Italy, you always come through. Unless you're racist. Um, (laughs) uh, Punches, Babes, and Rock and Roll.
1: Wow. They're not wrong. But Yeah. Um, In fact, we'll get to that a little bit later, because I have a comment that, that I think dovetails nicely with that. Um, so, you know, I I, just immediately, um, it's not hard to tell, um, like even before he looks in the mirror, I think we have a pretty good idea of, of who, who he is, you know, and, and, and what's happening here. Um, there are multiple uh, elements of 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 Elvis's afterlife if you will uh in in film and television and in books that play into this sort of trope of you know cut your hair boy uh and and they hit on it right here you know and in many ways it is something that made him stand out it was something that that made him other He didn't conform to the, you know, to the to the hairstyles of the day, um, especially in, you know, a conservative southern town like Memphis, Tennessee. Um, So it was it was definitely something that set him apart, made him unique. Um, And I do think that even though it might be a little cliche, um, I do think it's a it's kind of a I don't know. There's something about it. There's something about the choice to make that this point of contention right off the bat that I do actually kind of like, even even if like I said, even if it is cliche.
0: Yeah, I, it's. Um, I don't know. I, I never really caught that. I always, um, I had always misremembered as the the two guys trying to cut his hair at the beginning of the episode were uh, more like friends playing a prank than they were mm. actually like trying to pick on him. Uh, you know, rewatching the episode, I was like, oh no, that that wasn't what was happening. But um, I feel like there may have been a missed opportunity because I feel like all of everything that you just said was summed up in these two characters who we see at the top of the episode. And then we never see again. And in the form of the character of Frank Beagley, because basically like three quarters of his lines are about what white trash um, Elvis is. Yeah. And it's all summed up in, you know, in, in those characters and those interactions. Yeah. and also a little bit in Sam's voiceover monologue at one point talking about like how in many ways Elvis was the embodiment of the American dream because, you know, he was poor, came from nothing. And he was, you know, a time the, you know, the king of rock and roll. He was the biggest thing ever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think there, there's there's really no way to understate, you know, his his value to the pop culture landscape. And um, you know, I mean, there was uh, about about oh, 18, 19 years ago, um, I think they were releasing that Elvis One album. and um, the, uh, the tagline on the posters and they have it in Times Square even was you know before anybody did anything, Elvis did everything. And you know it was, it, was, it was true. you know, at that particular point in time, no one had ever you know ascended the heights quite the way that he had and, and um you know it's just interesting to think about uh, how how does someone prepare for that which doesn't necessarily have anything to do specifically with this episode but it it, it is it's inescapable when you talk about him uh, as, as as a cultural figure and um, and the fact that it goes it goes even beyond the United States you sure. know? and I think I think that the American dream part is is absolutely, valid and worth exploring, but I think it's, you know, I think that there's something universal about, you know, the dream of what, of what he accomplished and what he did. Yeah. Um, and it's the type of thing that people all over the world aspire, you know, aspire to, mm-hmm. um, and changing their circumstances, you know, rising above, you know, in anything in you know, poverty or, 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 whatnot, but, um, I do look forward to the discussion we're going to have about some f- Frank's, comments and especially the the white trash kind of oh yeah trail and, yeah and I know all.
0: I will say yeah I had uh I rushed out and I bought that number one that you just uh that mm-hmm. you just described I think I may have even enjoyed even more the 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 second release that they came out a couple years later uh second to none yeah uh, which is another delivery of number ones I think yeah I even enjoyed those more because like those were songs that I that I knew lesser of um yeah. but I yeah I enjoyed. Yeah, I really enjoyed those. Um, and I think, you know, we saw you know, everything that you just said, but also um, Elvis's music has kind of been revisited and it is somewhat he is somewhat controversial in that and how much he took and he lifted from from black musicians and black writers. Um, and the, and the, uh, it's a complicated thing of everything that you just said, but also acknowledging that as well. Um, there have been a couple episodes of uh, the Malcolm Gladwell podcast "Revisionist History," where he talks about Elvis, which we'll talk about later on. Um, but like one episode, like he visits the whole you know, thing of, of music and uh, Elvis's music and taking it from black writers and, uh, and and the musicians, and even in this podcast episode, they play a couple of demo tracks that were actually black musicians recording the demo tracks basically as an audition for Elvis. Like would Elvis be interested in recording the song? And if you were not, if you do not get that set up, you could not tell it apart from Elvis's rendition. Mm. Like they sound exactly alike. Like about, Oh, that's Elvis. Oh no, that's somebody else. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a complicated history acknowledging both of those things. Um, But yeah, we'll get into that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he certainly blew the door off the hinges. You know, I think it's also worth noting that, you know, both of us do have, uh, you know, a history um, with Elvis, like so many others. Uh, You know, those were the records that that my dad had. Yeah. um, And that I listened to um, as early as I can remember. You know, I tried tried to impersonate Elvis and I, I... you know, it was, to be completely honest, until I was about 10 or 11 years old, all I really listened to was Elvis music, you know, oh, wow. it was on the radio, Sure. but anytime I had a choice, I was listening to Elvis, I was listening to my dad's old records or, uh, you, you know, buying a tape, my first, you know, my first CD um, was an Elvis CD, the first record that I ever bought uh, with my own money was, uh, it was actually a, like a compilation of hits but the reason why I bought the compilation was because it had Elvis on it and the only reason I didn't buy an Elvis record is because my mom wouldn't let me because she was pretty sure my dad already had it so <laughs> so, so, so she was like no yeah. just you know don't don't buy an Elvis record dad probably has it so you know um a huge part of my life growing up um you know when I was in high school I wrote a, a one-act play uh that had to do with Elvis you know I uh um I you know, a lot. I just did a lot of embarrassing things as a youngster uh, that were related to Elvis. You know, watched every movie I could watch, uh, read books. Um, you know, we went to Memphis when I was about ten years old, I believe, to hmm. eleven years old, um, and went to Graceland and, 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 and you know, did, did that whole number. And then, um, and then, when I was, uh, I think I had just let's see, had a, I just turned thirty, um, I got a job working at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis. Which is actually, you know, Round is one of the finest children's museums in the world, and uh, they happened to have an exhibit at the time called Rock Cars, and Guitars, and uh, they had like one of Elvis's guitars there. And they had one of his cars there, and uh, they had, but they had no programming. And I was hired as an actor-interpreter, which basically meant that we would. You know, go to the spaces and and and, and you know do monologues in or you know interactive theater of some sort to um, engage the the audiences that were there to see the exhibits, and um, there were a couple of, of, of spaces uh, in particular that were just reserved for actual like shows. You know, and uh, so at the time I, I I got the job, and on literally my first day uh, because that's just who I am I guess I walked into my boss's office and I was like hey I can actually do a pretty mean Elvis impersonation and I think we should have uh, an Elvis performance in this space uh, and she she was just kind of like okay go write one almost like a challenge or whatever so I did, I brought it back the, you know, the director of, of the museum saw it uh, and was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And so I did it. And the other actor interpreters came to me and they're like, this never happens. And I was like, all right, well, you know, it happened, it happened now. Um, so, uh, so I've actually played Elvis before. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, it was quite the, quite the experience. And, uh, yeah, I, so, so, so I have a, a pretty, um, long, history, uh, with, with Elvis and, and, and have a lot of feelings, um, you know, on both sides of the coin. Um, and certainly, you know, with the way that the conversation has gone over these past few years about things like cultural appropriation, that's uh, the the right phrase. Yeah. And the way that people have spoken about him, I feel like a lot of the people doing the talking don't really know anything about him. And I think that, you know, that that's part of the problem. I think the thing is, is it's easy for people to say, you know, that he did this or he did that, but they don't actually know where he came from and they don't actually know his background. And I think that that's kind of the, the issue that I take with a lot of the accusations of cultural appropriation when it comes to Elvis. Sure. So I, I, am I'm, I'm, I'm quick to defend him in those, in, in those instances, mm-hmm. um, especially in his, especially in his early years. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so so oh, just ahead. for context. Sure. You know, I mean, it, yeah.
0: I and, you from. know, uh, yeah, here's the, the, the defense I will give to that. And I kind of briefly previewed this uh, at the end of our last episode. Um, I think if you go back and look, I think uh, a lot of uh, any white entertainer or artist, actor, studio, company, anything, you look throughout history – a lot of people are guilty of cultural appropriation. That's not to excuse it. I'm just saying a lot of people are guilty of it. I do think a lot of times the reason why Elvis comes under attack um, is I think there, um, there's a little bit of uh, classism, there's a little bit of casism, casteism. Um, the fact that uh, he was from the South, he did come out of poverty. He was just a poor kid. Um, And I think maybe sometimes a uh, a little bit comes about, oh, here is someone who uh, he kind of rose above his station. And that's why he gets singled out. Yeah. Um, People who are more educated about all of that probably could could speak more to that and make the better case of it. Um, But, yeah, that's kind of like my my brief two cents. In a little podcast about an old time travel TV show, uh, I didn't know that you played Elvis or did a mean Elvis impression. Uh, that's all great to hear. I too have also played Elvis <laughs> back in my younger days. Um, in college, uh, every year the college theater department would do a children's show, and it was actually a pretty big money maker for the theater department because they would like bus kids in. Um, for like a, a week's worth of, of children's shows, and uh, one year there was a uh, we did a musical that I can't. Uh, God, I'll, I'll think of it later. Um, but it was it, it was set in the fifties. It was a it was a fifties whatever. Um, and one of the main characters within the thing, he was basically he was very he was a contemporary of Elvis. Although this character in the musical didn't actually exist in real life. Uh, but to cast more people and kind of give out some filler, uh, the director of the show uh, cast uh, me and a couple other people as Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, um, and one other, I can't remember who. Um, I actually, may have just been uh, Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis. But yes, I played Elvis and I did a couple of pre-show songs. I think I did uh, Jailhouse Rock and uh, Let Me Be Your Teddy Bear. Nice. Uh, I did those. the thing is you know they had me in the fifties pompadour. they had me dressed like Elvis did in the fifties but i'm i 'm a big guy i I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've always been a big guy uh so imagine uh Elvis at the size he was in the later years, dressed as he was during his younger years, uh, and the pompadour wig was really excessive. I looked more like a uh, A white James Brown. (laughs) Vocal now, now, now vocally, um, I I can still do a pretty mean Elvis. Um, You know, so I I could sound a lot like him. You know, I'm you know uh, pretty good in that regard. Um, And then uh, somebody, uh, somebody on the faculty at the college that I went to, Murray State, they were so enamored with Elvis. Somehow, they talked me into going over to her office and serenading her in costume. Uh, I, at one point in time, there was there's a picture that exists of me like on a knee in front of her in her office singing, uh, it was like, you know, are you lonesome tonight or, or can't help falling in love? One of those, yeah. I was performing one of those songs for her. Uh, <laughs> now here's, now here's the kicker. Let me, on top of all of that visualization, let me give you this. I was 21. Yes, I was 21 years old at the time and dressed up as Elvis. I also had full metal braces. <laughs> because That is
1: quite the image.
0: Because up until that point, uh, I, I had had very crooked teeth in my childhood. Did not get them fixed in my, until my early adulthood. So imagine all of that. Elvis. Full braces. That is that is
1: I can't I can't beat that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Good times. Wow. Wow. Where do we go from there? (laughs) Well, somebody else who played Elvis. Yes. Uh,
1: Somebody else who played Elvis, of course, uh, in the mirror image uh, in this episode uh, is Michael St. Gerard. And Michael St. Gerard, by this particular point in 1983, had played Elvis three other times already. Um, uh, First, I believe, in uh, Great Balls of Fire, um, which was the movie biopic uh, of Jerry Lee Lewis starring Dennis Quaid. Um, and, uh, then again, in a movie called Heart of Dixie, which I don't know anything about. Uh, and then, um, uh, also in the Elvis TV series. It's interesting because in Matt's book, he calls it a mini series. Um, but it wasn't a mini series. It was actually a, it was, it was, it was intended to be, you know, a, a, a standard, uh, you know, weekly television series. Um, and the ratings were not great. Um, and so it only lasted for a few episodes on the network. And then TNT, because Ted Turner is a lover of all things Elvis, um, it's it's one of the things that actually prompted him to buy um, the rights to United Artists uh, films back in the day, and because uh, a lot of the Elvis movies were were under UA. Um, and so um, TNT actually bought the rights to the series, rebranded the show as Elvis the Early Years, because obviously since it didn't last very long, it only covered um you know through uh uh about i think 1955 was as far as it got uh and they aired um some of the unaired episodes that that i believe abc did not get to um uh-huh. the um yeah it lasted from february 6th until may 19th of 1990 there were 13 episodes total three of which were unaired those three unaired episodes ended up again being aired on tnt um eventually and, uh, yeah, so uh, he obviously has quite a bit of experience playing Elvis, doesn't get a lot to do. You know, uh, I will say, you clearly. know, good for,
0: good for him being a good sport, uh, from right. going from, cause I'm sure when he got cast in the TV series, like he thought that that was going to be his big break, you know, as I'm sure any actor yes. does when, when they, when they get cast, especially as such, uh, you know, an iconic real life person. And then for that to fail, like, Oh, what? Like I'm basically a cameo good sport right good sport um yeah and i think it's also worth noting before like we we carry on with the discussion is uh you know this episode aired in 1993 elvis had just died in 1977 and so like when i was a kid watching this episode elvis having passed away was ancient history you know it was something before i was born but only 16 years had passed right um, and, and really, it's not, it doesn't quite line up with, like with the number of years, but like within our lifetime right now, I think the, the closest thing that we could have to compare is when Michael Jackson died. Mm-hmm. Like I remember like even posting that on social media when, when Michael Jackson died. It's like I, I feel like my generation is experiencing what people felt when Elvis died.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think you could, you could easily, obviously the circumstances are very, very different. I mean, the Michael Jackson situation is, you know, eerily similar in a lot of ways, but, uh, uh, you know, I remember, um, back in 94 when Kurt Cobain died that, that, you know, that, that was what a lot of people, a lot of journalists at the time were comparing it to as well, just because of, you know, the, the potential pop cultural effect. And I, I think sure. that, you know, Cobain's is different, obviously he was much younger in the circumstances of, of his death and he hadn't uh, been around quite as long, but, um, I do think, I do think that you can certainly make the argument even now, looking back on it, that, um, you know, here we are over 25 years later and there are people still discovering Nirvana and listening to Nirvana and listening to that music and listening to his music. So I, I do think that, um, there's, there's an effect that, that, that had as well. But yeah, I mean, Michael Jackson's, you know, the fact that it was again, um, you know, prescription drug abuse played a huge role in, in his demise, Um, you know, it was basically the direct cause of, of it, you you know, um, whereas, you know, with Elvis, it was, it was a contributing factor, but not the only factor, but, um, yeah, it's, it's also interesting to think about it in those terms because you're right, you know, at that time it had been 16 years and it had happened, you know, before I was born and now here we are, twenty-seven years after this episode aired, and it's like more time has passed since this episode aired now than it passed since Elvis died. In that episode aired, so yeah. Um,
0: and I think it, it's also yeah. uh, it's important to note, and this just popped into my head, you know, for the first time, uh, revisiting this episode uh, is if you're you're younger, uh, you may not realize like at the time, like how how many people really think that Elvis had faked his death?
1: (sighs) I mean, we're not too far removed. Uh, I think this, yeah, it it did happen before. Uh, we're not too far removed from those Bill Bigsby hosted the Elvis files TV shows. Do you remember those? (laughs) No. Oh man. Those were so big. Uh, so basically, The premise of these shows there were two of them that I remember there might have been another one I don't know but there were definitely two the premise being that they were going to prove that Elvis was still alive uh the funniest part about this is is Bill Bigsby said at the end of both episodes that he hosted that he believed for sure that Elvis Presley was dead so it was kind of like the guy they chose to host the show who knew Elvis had worked with Elvis was in a couple of Elvis's Um, by the way, like was like, was just sort of like, this is bullshit, this is crap, but I'm taking the pitch. <laughs> like that was basically the vibe that you got. Yeah. Um, and they had like so many people on, on there and some of whom were just clearly, you know, looking for a little TV time, some who were probably not well, uh, and then, and then others who, you know, were kind of contentious about it, um, but it was interesting to me growing up not for the fact that they were trying to you know prove that Elvis was alive so much as some of the people that they interviewed the interviews were actually a lot more straightforward instead of having to do anything with you know whether or not Elvis was still alive it was just kind of like you knew Elvis tell us about him which to me was much more fascinating mm. um than you know than than these people that were on there trying to like you know, be like, I know Elvis was alive because this, this, and this.
0: <laughs> yeah. I remember, like, some of them were, um, uh, uh, apparently his middle name was misspelled on his tombstone. Mm-hmm. And people took that. Um, people reported seeing his uh, corpse sweat during the funeral, which made them think that it was actually a wax replica that was melting. Right. Those are just two, like, things like, that, like, popped off my head. Like, that's why they think that he had faked his death, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: whatever. Wait. No, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah,
1: it's one of those things where it's kind of like at this point, at this point, I can't, you know, it's just, it's like, it's the same thing with, with, with JFK or Tupac or Andy sure. Kaufman or you know, any of these people, you know. Well, it's even like, what made on. me think
0: of it is uh, it, it was very brief, but very briefly after Michael Jackson passed away, there was a little conspiracy around he was mm. still alive. Like, I remember like seeing some Reported video of Michael Jackson getting out of the back of a van um, in like some like parking garage, like he was like sneaking around or something supposedly after his passing away. Yeah, so. Yeah, but anyway, uh, that is way beyond the scope of this little one Uh, and this one (laughs) uh, Elvis does a talent show.
1: Right, so you know, real quick, back to the opening scene. Uh, obviously, uh, Elvis slash Sam is saved by his buddy Red West, um, who of course was indeed Elvis's real life, you know, close friend um, and sort of you know bodyguard, literal bodyguard at one point in his life. But at this particular point, kind of unofficial bodyguard, which is which is true. I mean, that is all based. In fact, you know, Red Red was there to kind of help him get out of some fights and and and, and that sort of thing, um, and. Uh, uh, the character of Red West in this episode is played by his son, uh, his real-life son, um, John Boyd West, um, who actually played his father a couple of times, including in the 2005 actual miniseries Elvis, which starred Jonathan Rice Myers as Elvis, uh, which is actually not bad. You know, um, it's 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 still not the best movie about Elvis's life. That that belongs to John Carpenter. And Kurt Russell but uh it's it's still not bad it's it's pretty good um long career he's done a lot of stuff he's in a really underrated television show called rectify that's his most recent credit on imdb um but uh has you know has, has packed on um quite a few you know respectable credits uh there as well um after red saves him from from the haircut um yeah, we, we come to find out, of course, that there's this talent show that, that Elvis is, is going to do. Um, and, um, you know, of course, Al pops in and is thrilled and thinks that this is amazing. Ziggy is starstruck. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a big moment in Project Quantum Leap history. Oh, yeah,
0: it is so. Yeah, there's so many different ways they could have gone with this, like having an actual. I mean, they're I mean, they've had Dr. Ruth there. They're old hat at this point. Um, but right. uh, yeah, they could have gone a much more tragic way with this episode, and maybe a missed opportunity. But yeah, um, I think for the scope of this episode, it was the right choice. So just, you know, play play it light, played for laughs. You know, what would you you know if you could get an actual concert with the young Elvis Presley? Yeah, what would that be like? You
1: know the the comment that I the comment that I made and and. I don't know how exhaustive we need to be in kind of our overview and, and summarizing, etc. But but one of the things that, that uh, I took a note on was the fact that eventually this episode feels very much as though it could be an Elvis movie, like a movie that Elvis would have been in, and not necessarily one of the good ones. Um, sure. <laughs> you know, it it checks all the boxes, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elvis gets into a fight. Check. Uh, Elvis, you know falls in love slash girl falls in love with him slash complications arise slash it all works out in the end. Check, you know, Elvis sings some songs in a diner check, you know, like it's like, it's just, you know, it checks all the boxes that those, you know, not so great sixties Elvis movies did. And, and that, and, and ultimately that's one of those things that it just, I think contributed to my feeling that this was a bit of a missed opportunity because rather than, tell a story using this unique set of circumstances, they decided to kind of go with the fairly uh, just odd and pedestrian setup in a lot of ways, instead of instead of really going for like an engaging story. I feel like the story doesn't engage me the way that I want it to, especially compared to, to other episodes. Even, and, and again, even Goodbye Norma Jean, I feel like engages me in ways that this episode doesn't.
0: Yeah, but the thing is like when I was a kid, I loved this episode because I was into the Elvis oh, music course. and uh you know, I realized like as a kid, like the like the you know, the overall plot and the themes, whatever, blah blah blah. Um, you know, I would go around and I uh I literally had like my own Quantum Leap soundtrack before the soundtrack was released and like yeah. i would just put my tape recorder next to the tv and i would just record the songs that scott Bakula sang so you know sure. a whole a whole section of that cassette tape was dedicated to this episode um yeah. i i i think i even had dixieland sure. <laughs> you know yeah. this version of dixieland ah. on there oh, uh god as, as horrible as it was um so yeah um it would have been great if they'd have done a more nuanced one. And they and they kind of like touch on that, like with Sam's one monologue about like, you know, what if he could, would have changed Elvis's circumstances? Would Elvis mm-hmm. had been happier had he never been mm-hmm. discovered ultimately? Um, I think that's beyond the scope of quantum leap. Like I think that would, like, you know, uh, it would be an sure. interesting, you know, uh, story or, or, or or novel or movie or something like, you know, take Elvis or take any tragic, uh, celebrity and do a time travel yarn where they, they don't get discovered. What happens? Would they be happier?
1: You know, I mean, it, it, it is an interesting question. I think though that, that, you know, I would actually argue No, or at least that it would have not been, it would have been maybe a different kind of unhappiness. Because I think that when, when someone has, you know, the desire and the dream to do something like he had, had he not accomplished that, I think that would have been, you know, more soul crushing in a lot of ways than all the pitfalls of fame and fortune that came his way later you know, would he have lived longer? Yeah, probably actually, you know, but at the same time, you know, you, 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 do have to wonder about the life that he had in those years yeah, as opposed to the years that he had in his life. And so, you know, that's, that's sure that it's, it's an unanswerable question in a lot of ways, but I mean, that's, that would be my, you know, my, my sure. best stab at it, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm thinking
0: of mine, um, uh, and this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, Pete Best, who was mm-hmm. the Beatles drummer before they kicked him out yep. and was replaced by Ringo Starr. Um, I, I read a, a section of his story. I think it's in the book, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. <laughs> and um, they they touch on his story where I, I think Pete Best, like he he is put out there and he firmly believes that while, yes, it was soul crushing to be kicked out of the Beatles, just before they hit stardom looking back on it he believes that he is a much happier person having gone on and having lived the life that he lived versus having been in the beatles
1: you know i look i think that i think there's two sides to that i think that that is absolutely true for him i think that's also probably what he had to tell himself for a very long time
0: i mean sure yeah (laughs) yeah you know yeah
1: And I think that I think it's like it's like when I look at certain things that I, you know, choices that I didn't make in my life, you know, jobs that I might have turned down or, you know, uh, places that I decided not to move at a certain point in time or whatever, you know. I can't, I guess I'm not willing to say one way or the other, but I do know that the level of happiness that I have now and, and some of the things that I have in my life now, I would not have had I made those other choices. Not that I'm comparing any of the choices that I had on my table, you know, to, to the success and fame of the Beatles or Elvis or anything like that, sure. but, you know, it, it certainly would have, you know, looking back on it, I realized they probably would have been better professional choices for me to make. Um, but you know, for whatever reason, I went, I went a different way and I did my own thing. But, you know, knowing that I know that had I not made the choices that I made, that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have met my wife that I, you know, that we wouldn't have gotten married and that my daughter wouldn't have been born. Um, I can say that with a pretty good degree of certainty. And I know that, you know, that I can certainly sit here and say right now, well, I wouldn't trade that for anything, you know, now six or seven years ago that might be a different story, but where I am now today, you know, I know. So it's, it, it, I think that we're getting way off, way off topic sure. here, but I, you <laughs> yeah. know, I, I do yeah. think, I do think that, that it's one of those questions that sometimes, y- y- you know, you, you can't necessarily know the answer for sure. And yet at the same time, um, if, if, if for Pete Best, if he looks at it in that way, you know, the idea that like, if I wouldn't have, if I wouldn't have gotten kicked out of the Beatles, I never would have met my wife. And, you know, I wouldn't have these kids that I have now. And I couldn't imagine anything different in my life. And that makes me the happiest I could possibly be. Totally. But I can definitely imagine there was a time in his life when he might have been sitting there just being like, what happened? You know, oh, like, sure. yeah,
0: I knew and this is another tangent. But uh, years ago, before I moved to Chicago, I was in uh, an improv group with uh, with a guy, and I, I know I won't say the band's name because I don't know who listens to this and whatever, and it, just to protect privacy as much as possible. Um, he was the drummer for a band that he got kicked out right before they blew up and got really popular, and they kind of faded off now. But in the in the mid aughts, they were pretty popular, um, and he got kicked out of the band because basically he was involved with uh, basically like because of relationship problems with his girlfriend. He was just not in his best place. And they knew that they were getting ready to to hit some success, and they didn't want to have him as a liability, and they kicked him out. Uh, and at the time that he was in the uh, in the improv group with me, he was kind of licking his wounds because, like, he was very much in that phase of one day I will be happier, but right now this really fucking sucks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you're listening to the Sam and Dennis Hour. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you, uh, that does actually, though, it does actually play into a bit in this episode. And, and the reason why I think we can make that argument is, is the character of Sue Ann. Oh, God, Because yeah. Sue Ann gets an opportunity here that in the original sis- history she would not have. And then ultimately kind of ends up having to go another way than what Sam initially changes things towards because Sam has to set things right for Elvis because he screws everything up. And so I think there's a lot of questions to be asked in the context of this episode about the character of Sue Ann and what ends up happening. So, talent show. They're there. Red and Elvis are in the audience. This girl gets up on stage. She's going to you know, sing. She's horrible. She runs off stage. She throws up. It's, you know, it is what it is. Sam, of course, overcome with empathy and compassion, you know, has to go to her and has to help her out and, 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 and try and make her feel better. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, Dennis, what, what, what were you thinking?
0: Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's classic Sam, whatever. And also, it, it does not help that she's a very attractive woman. So, of course, we know Sam. I mean, Sam is our noble boy scout, but come on, we know right, right. we know Sam. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if that much. Uh, you Sue Ann, by that. the way,
1: is played by Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. Um, she has done a ton of voice work, um, both you know behind the microphone and 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 then also as a voice director. Um, not a lot of on screen work, um, actually. Since this episode, um, most of it has indeed been uh, voiceover work, but she's, I mean, she's working right up until now, you know, most recently on Carmen Sandiego and the new uh, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power uh, TV show. Um, I didn't realize this, but I heard her recently because I still, you know, watch some anime from time to times and uh, was watching Ghost in the Shell, the TV series, not too mm-hmm. long ago, and she uh, plays the voice of the, the main character. So, um you know, she's, she's had quite a lengthy career. Um, but, but again, mostly, um, behind a microphone instead of in front of the camera. Um, yeah, you know, and she, and she does a great job in the course of this episode. I mean, she is certainly not at fault for, for any of the the criticisms that I would levy at it. Um, I do though, I, I think because it ends up feeling like a standard sort of boilerplate you know small time issue in a lot of ways this episode it's like the gimmick of Elvis is really just a gimmick like this character does not have to be Elvis is there a little bit of added drama because Sam derails Elvis's potential career totally at the same time had you excised that and just had Sam leap into some young singer you know like it wouldn't really change much about the plot of the overall episode until it does in which case we completely forget about Sue Ann for a while towards the end of the episode, which we do.
0: We do. Oh yeah. She
1: gets pushed so far off to the side that she might as well not even be in the episode anymore.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. That Um, is true. Yeah. Which, which which is, which is, you know, again, simultaneously unfortunate. And yet I I guess, I don't know. I, I just have difficulties with the episode, but Sam is Sam in his, in his eagerness to help Sue Ann ends up changing everything. And it becomes unlikely that Elvis will be, discovered in the way that he was. And then uh, and then it becomes increasingly likely that now Elvis will no longer be, you know, Elvis, but will be uh, a, a, you know, sort of mid-level duo with Elvis and Sue Ann. Yeah. Uh, they sing Amazing Grace at one point in the diner. You know, mm-hmm. Sam tries to get her to sing. Um, an interesting thing happens. Scott Bakula and his wonderful singing voice uh, is doing some great harmonizing with Sue Ann. Elvis Presley couldn't harmonize at that particular point in his life.
0: Oh, in fact,
1: he was uh, told on multiple occasions he would never make it as a singer because he couldn't harmonize. Um, he, he was he was not he auditioned for and was not accepted into the high school glee club. Um, he had auditioned for a local singing group and, and, and band um, shortly before this episode was set, and was told basically the same thing by the band leader that he was never going to you know, make it as a singer because he couldn't harmonize. So um, in the many strikes against this episode when it comes to historical accuracy, that would certainly be one of them. Um, of course, the other thing is, is is the timing of the episode. The episode is set in July of 1954. Elvis had already recorded My Happiness, and That's When Your Heartaches begin, which were the first two recordings he made at Sun Records in July of 1953. Um, by this time, actually, Elvis had already basically been kind of taken in as a potential sun recording artist and, and the, you know, the famous that's Alright mama session would take place on July 5th, 1954. Um, so he'd already recorded, I think at this time in the original, in the real history, he'd already recorded three separate, on three separate occasions at sun records. One was the original acetate, which is my happiness. And that's when your heartaches begin. Um, the second one, um, would have been shortly after that, uh, January of 54, here it is, January 54, I'll never stand in your way and it wouldn't be the same without you, and then he came in because uh, Marian Kiesker had um, a song that she thought that he would be good for, so he came in and recorded that, and then um, he came in one more time, and that was when they hit on That's Alright Mama, and that's when everything took off. You know, three days later, Sam Phillips handed it to Dewey Phillips and he played it on his radio show. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history.
0: Yeah. And we were talking about this uh, off mic before we started recording is they may have possibly fudged that year because had they set this episode in the summer of 1953, that would have been before Sam's birthday. And while they've fudged the birthday thing, while they've had Sam leap a few months in before his birthday in the first and second season having an episode coming up where such a big deal is made about him leaping in on his literal birthday. Right. Maybe they thought it would have been weird to have Sam leap in a month before his literal birthday in an episode that takes place so close to that.
1: Yeah. You know, it's also worth noting that um, there, there was a lot of question. Over to Elvis's original Sun recordings, um, up until you know, I, I want to say, yeah, I think it had been. Let's see here. I'm trying to. I'm trying to discover exactly. Yeah, it was. I think it was into the '80s before they discovered some of these songs. Mm. Um, Even the original My Happiness recording, I want to say it was the late 80s, early 90s before they actually discovered some of these recordings. A lot of his Sun Records recordings weren't even unearthed um, entirely until... uh, God, I mean, yeah, it was... Some of that stuff has been discovered just recently, even. Now, the the original acetate uh, of My Happiness and That's When Your Heartaches begin was actually bought by Jack White, a few years back and then for record store day he had a, a replica made of the of the record um that people could could buy you i think he paid three hundred thousand dollars for the record at auction um which was a steal because it had actually been valued at half a million so uh, <laughs> but uh no it, that's a valid point had they had they set this but the other question is it's like well why not go ahead and set it when you set it but not have it necessarily have to do with you know Elvis being discovered so much as Elvis making that breakthrough recording. Do you know what I sure. mean? Like instead of it being like he's got to go in and record and get noticed, instead it's like, well, yeah, I mean Elvis has already been noticed because it because it would still work and it would still fit, especially with the idea that you know Sam is changing things for Elvis. So. I did have some question about that, but I guess, you know, two things. One, the point that you bring up about Sam's own timeline and two about, I think just our general knowledge of Elvis Presley at that time. It's like, there were still things that were basically being discovered. You know, we're still a, a good year off before Peter Guralnick's, um last train to Memphis gets released, which is the first part of a two volume biography that, that really believe it or not, you know, some 17 years after he died was the first biography to really, actually, you know, uncover a lot of this information, and you know, uh, uh, right down to Elvis's first girlfriend, you know, it, it, there was a lot of stuff that had just been made up and put out there uh, beforehand that had never been checked for historical accuracy. Shall sure. we say?
0: Yeah. Uh, I think we kind of forget sometimes that uh, in 2020 we have the benefit of, of so much stuff is like out there discovered, and it's a quick Google search away, where. You know, even you know thirty years ago, that was not the case at all, and some new stuff was just coming out, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like, you he know, said you know they 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 could have said it a year later, and uh, it really not have messed it up. It just occurred to me now they could have done they could have done something really interesting because the way the episode plays out is that by doing the talent show and walking out and saving suzanne uh during will the circle be unbroken which by another song I had on on tape that I played incessantly (laughs) on my cassette uh, recorder Um, they could have done something interesting where where Elvis and Suzanne do get discovered they just have kind of a eh, career right like they have like a good like really hot two or three years and then they fizzle out by the early 60s like by, by the time the Beatles come around they kind of fizzle out and they just kind of go on and live their lives so do you have an Elvis with a middling duo career, or do you have Elvis as we know him? And that's the choice. Right. right.
1: Which is, I mean, is part, I mean, is partly the case in the episode, you know, yeah. it, it, although as Al presents it, of course, there is no choice. Yeah. You know, as Al presents it, it's like you have to, you you know, Elvis still has to kind of, you know, be, be, be the star that we know him as. Um, which is another reason why Sue Ann kind of gets short shrift because, so Sue Ann has a fiance. Obviously, of course she does because we're checking the boxes here. And uh, her fiance is not happy with her basically doing anything other than being barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. Yep. Um, doesn't think she should be singing. Doesn't think it's a respectable career. Uh, you know, doesn't even necessarily like her working at the diner uh, that much, you can tell. Um, is going to be perfectly happy when they can drive off and, and, and he can keep her caged up in a house. Um, clearly, Sam is going to find that as, as a bone of contention. Uh, and he clearly has feelings for Suanne as well, so that makes it even a little bit more tense, if you will. Um, yeah. This is the thing. It's like Sue Ann is potentially using this music as, as, as a form of, of, of liberation and it's her dream. And, and Sam wants to kind of give that to her at the risk of Elvis's career. But we do get to a certain point in the episode after, you know, Sam trying to help her out that she could very... have a very real career with Elvis in this duo that Marion wants Sam Phillips to see as opposed to just seeing Elvis. And... Uh Sue Ann kind of has to get sacrificed for that. Yeah. To the point that after, you know, they have the fight and Frank kind of beats Sam up, although that's not how Sue Ann sees it. Sure. She thinks yeah. that Elvis and Red were beating on him. Uh, that um That she has to go be the good, you know, the good 1950s housewife. And Sam still wants to kind of like free her from that knowing all this time that he can't... He's not going to be able to give her her dream, really. Uh, I don't know. It's weird, man. I The more I think about it, the more I'm kind of just like icked out by this particular element because it just feels... I don't know. It feels like she really gets screwed over in a lot of ways here. I mean... Because uh, by the end of the episode, by the end of the episode, she no longer has a fiancé, which we can look at as being a good thing. Absolutely. Uh she does have an audition and she's going to go release a couple records we hear um, never really make it much and then you know settle down or whatever but I don't know I I think the reason the reason why it's difficult and the reason why it's one of those things where you can't help but wonder about it is she gets set up to potentially be you know in a different stratosphere if you will Mm -hmm. and then just kind of settles for middle ground by herself. Yeah. And yes, of course, it's a better life than what she would have had sure. had she gone off and stayed with Frank. Yeah. But it's but it's also kind of like, God, Sam's screwing around with everything here, and yeah, he's going to fuck over Elvis's career, but he also kind of puts all these possibilities into play for Sue Ann, and then she kind of takes the one of least returns in a way.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, are do you think that she was happier in her original life with Frank, or having a somewhat successful career and then and then being able to uh, have a life more on her terms afterwards definitely
1: happier you're yeah. right she's yeah. definitely she's happier.
0: something I mean, she, I mean she doesn't have elvis's career but also i think that's kind of like the failing of of you know maybe that's something they, they could have done a better job of driving home in the final moments of the episode is that in the end who is happier elvis or Anne? at after her revised life you know what i mean right. because uh you know elvis had a lot of issues and you know unfortunately he um you know he he, he passed away when he was 42 years old uh and to ann who who kind of had a little bit of a career and then when that faded she went back into having a life that was more on her terms now that I'm thinking about it, what an interesting twist would it have been if it turns out in the final moments, and this would have been in keeping with a couple of moments from from other things that they've done in this season of Quantum Leap, is what if Sue Ann had blown up and become a huge star and she ended up dying of an overdose. Oh
1: God. <laughs> yeah, I know, I, I get where you're going with that. Uh and that you know, and that Sam ends up saving her uh in a way. No, that's a good point. I think the other thing that makes it weird, too, is the fact that we do get kind of a mixed story, because then there are these scenes that Sam has with Elvis' mother, Gladys, that are kind of thrown at us, that are, are, again, very much your stereotypical, cliched, Elvis at the dining room table with his mama. You know, like, we've seen this before. There's nothing new about these scenes. Um, And I'm not saying that they're bad scenes in any way, but... uh, but you do kind of scratch your head and, and, and you wonder, like, what are they for? You know, is it, just, is it just so Sam can say those, you know, those lines about, I'm going to buy you a big house and, you know, all this sort of stuff. But it's like, well, we've seen that before.
0: Yeah. Now, Because Elvis
1: did say those things to his mom. Yeah. Now, point of order,
0: how many scenes were there with Elvis's mom? Two. Were there two? Yeah. Because I just remember the one. There's the,
1: there's the first one and then there's one later towards the end, actually. Oh,
0: okay, okay. Because because uh, uh, I watched it earlier in this week because originally we were going to record it earlier this week, and then I had issues come up, but I had only remembered the one scene because I was like, oh wow, I thought Elvis's mom was in this a whole lot more, but nope um I thought she was a I thought she was like in throughout the entire episode,
1: yeah, the but, yeah.
0: second scene is super short like it maybe I mean, that's it's why. very yeah. very short
1: but it's too yeah, it's towards the end,
0: pandemic brain. also uh I would be remiss if I did not point out that that is that is their kitchen set that they use on Quantum Leap oh so often. Right. Most noticeably, uh, it is very much the configuration of uh, the Leap Home Part 1. Yeah. 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 Anyway.
1: Yeah, the outside uh, of the diner is the same exterior that we've seen before as well, um, including uh, in, in Trilogy recently. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yep. the, the, the diner over at the MacGyver Project, the diner apparently... Is the same diner from Back to the Future? No. Or at the very least, has the same light fixtures. I'm looking at the pictures right now, and it, I mean, it looks like it could very well be the same exact diner.
0: I'll have to check that because, like, I was trying to because uh, I always try to place like the sets like within you know like other episodes of the show. Um, and I couldn't place it, but yeah, I will. Mm. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um.
1: Yeah. You know, and maybe this is a case of, 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 of you know me just thinking too much about it because ultimately the you know there is some compelling stuff here, and and when you, you know, when you look at the idea that Sam has accidentally sabotaged Elvis's career, that he has you know set himself up to kind of save this girl from her life of disappointment with Frank. Um and then have to get things back on track with Elvis while also simultaneously not ruining things for Su Ann. You know, it does add some tension, but it... There there are times when I guess the episode just doesn't work for me, and and, 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 and it's almost like I was almost to the point of, like, eye-rolling, you know, with the fact that Sam decides to go to try to save Su Ann instead of going to the recording studio and try, you know, and, like, all these other things. And it, it just made me, I don't know, the episode made me a little squirmy as opposed to how I felt maybe when I was younger. Maybe that's one of those cases of like experience and knowledge and comparison being the death of joy, because I couldn't enjoy the episode kind of like what you were saying in the same way that I did when I was younger.
0: See, I, I kind of felt that way about this episode until we got to Sam singing blue moon. And then eventually, uh, baby, let's play house in the diner. Then I was like, yeah, Oh yes. The plot of this episode doesn't matter this is a set piece so Scott Bakula can sing some Elvis. Right.
1: Which, it's interesting because, you know, I mean, Scott is a a great singer and it's always a joy to hear him sing, but he doesn't sound anything like Elvis.
0: Here's my defense of that, and here's the thing, uh, and I'm sure you'll appreciate that being an Elvis fan like I am. I can do Elvis. I could do a mean Elvis impersonation. Yeah. But I love Elvis's music so much that when I sing it and I sing it genuinely just out of joy, I don't sound like Elvis. Totally. I sound like me. And that's why it's like... And to me, that kind of honors the music in a weird way. You know, it's like, yeah, he sounds nothing like Elvis, but with the curly hair he looks enough like Elvis and he embodies Elvis enough I don't care it it doesn't really strike me that he doesn't really sound anything like Elvis
1: (laughs) sure sure it's you know the, the thing too about the diner scene is that like and I understand that I'm being too critical I get it I know that I am but the thing about the diner scene is that when you know when he comes in and he sings the song it's not it's not real Again, it's just something out of an Elvis movie. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like, there's like, like, you know, it. <laughs> I mean, we it
0: just. I mean, it just we just, undercuts. I can, it just. I don't know. Sure. I mean, could, could, could you say, <laughs> Sam bursts in. He thinks he's going to be the hero. He thinks he's going to sing the song here. He jumps up on the counter, belts out the first few notes. And the person behind the counter is like, "The fuck you doing, Elvis? <laughs> Get off the counter! It's lunchtime." Right,
1: right, right. Anyway,
0: that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, but I mean, yeah, there's not that. I mean, you even have like in the middle of this, you have uh, Sam Phillips drop a white man with a black voice.
1: Yeah, which is right. something you
0: know he you know he did famously say. But you know, it is very much pouring it on thick to have him drop it in the middle of the scene
1: yeah well and and the thing is is that you know that 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 statement has 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 often been you know taken out of out of context in a lot of ways because you know even even w- with with you know how how Sam meant it, it, it was the idea that white America would not buy. The race records, as they called them back then, but he knew that the music that they were that, that that you know the black community was making, and that he himself was recording because Sun Records had black recording artists. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 type of music was so vital and, and and so you know so alive in a way that other music wasn't. It wasn't pericomo um, that 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 people would would want it. If they, you know, it, it, this would just be the way to make it more palatable sure. to them. Um, which, you know, is kind of surprising and funny in a way because uh, uh, while, you know, millions of teenagers would clearly run out and buy those records, there were a lot of old white people that still thought that was, you know, the devil's oh, music God, and yeah. that, you know, that, that he was the worst thing that had ever happened. Um, and, you know, his hope also was that if they bought these records by a white man, that eventually they would buy the records by the other artist. So it was like, so, you know, his, his idea was twofold. It wasn't that he was going to make a billion dollars with one artist. It was that he was going to open things up a bit so that people would actually go buy these records as opposed to, you know, just not buying them because, a, you know, it had a black man or woman on the cover. Sure. Um, but but anyway uh, um so he, you know obviously he gets he gets Sam Phillips attention they're going to they're going to record with him he sets things right for for Elvis um the uh i think the thing is for me one of the questions i asked is i can't, i couldn't decide if the creative license they took with this episode was worth it or if they could have told a better story by either sticking to the facts or again making the story making the story actually you know more about elvis and more about that time and place because as it stands it ends up being a fairy tale and if i want to see a fairy tale tale about elvis i'll go watch that heartbreak hotel movie Which I don't know if you've ever seen or not. I have not. But uh, Uh, the the
0: only thing, I'm sure you probably know this, but it would be interesting to our listeners. The thing that I find uh, fascinating about the song Heartbreak Hotel is that it's based on a suicide note.
1: Yeah. Uh, And also worth mentioning, since you mentioned that, that um, the idea of the Monkees recording that song in 1965, which is when they were formed, which is like 10 years after Elvis recorded that song, uh, is pretty slim, especially considering that Elvis actually did, uh, it was one of the rare occurrences, there were only a few songs he ever had a songwriting credit on and that was one of the songs he had a songwriting credit on so it wouldn't have been Heartbreak Hotel as we know it Uh, Love Me Tender was the other one and then I believe there was another one in the the mid to late 60s he tried writing a couple of other songs but they didn't fare too well And apparently he he played one of them for his Memphis Mafia and they thought it was a joke and they they laughed at it and so that was kind of like enough for him to be like I'm never going to do this again um but uh uh and then the other thing about jailhouse rock uh and tony orlando and dawn recording it in the 70s that would have never happened either because the song was literally written for elvis presley for an elvis presley movie like when you know when Lieber and stroller wrote that song it was only for elvis it wasn't like they had a song and it was out there for any other artist to go record sure so it's like that's the thing it's like there's so many things that this episode just does like gets wrong historically it's like what's the point what is the point of this episode and at the end of the day I'm left with saying the, the point of this episode is that Sam left into Elvis Yeah, now and, I'm, I, and I'm, I'm just left saying to myself okay cool
0: I will say as a counterpoint to that um, Betsy who is in and out watching this episode with me who knows nothing about Elvis uh, forgive her Sam she can barely tolerate <laughs> Elvis music and will really only tolerate it when I'm singing it around the house um, her being in and out of the episode, the the moments in the episode that she laughed at the most were those comments by Al, because for her, just a casual viewer, she found it funny thinking of all these other artists recording these classic Elvis songs. Sure,
1: sure, and I, you know, and I'm probably the only one who cares, you know, like nobody else is probably thinking about these things, but. It, it 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 does bother me. Yeah, you know, the same way that like having a saxophone in the in the in the Sun Records session gets to me. You know, there's no saxophone on any Elvis records uh, that were recorded at Sun. Uh, although we do we do we've, we we glossed over the one little kiss with history. In addition to this whole episode being a kiss with history, is that at one point young Billy C from Hope Arkansas has been playing the saxophone.
0: Yeah, and I think and we, we 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 touched course, on another, another one like listen. Yeah, because. Clinton had just been inaugurated in real time a couple of months before. Um, That's right, and so I think there's one like the few cases of like the kisses with history where it's like uh, uh, quantum leap in its own small way, like really commenting and touching on current events.
1: Yeah, this one and then Doctor Ruth with with Anita Hill. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's I, a yeah very I, good point. I had totally forgotten about them. Like as that moment was coming up during the talent show, I was like, ah, yes, that cute little whatever and I was trying to remember uh, um, just a small thing like as that moment was coming up I was trying I was waiting to see if Sam was going to react to Billy C but he doesn't (laughs)
1: that's right he doesn't yeah
0: Um, only Al makes note of that because like Sam first leaped in 1995 and Clinton was first inaugurated in 93 like would Sam have even remembered Bill Clinton that would have been interesting I don't know
1: yeah um, you know, it's interesting to note, uh, a couple of things, um, that the little girl in the diner, in the first diner scene, Amazing Grace, is Chelsea Bakula, Scott Bakula's daughter. She was eight mm-hmm. years old at the time. Um, and that, uh, Julie, who is Sue Ann's sister, is played by Melissa Bernheim, who is the sister, uh, of the writer of this episode, Robin, Robin Bernheim, mm-hmm. um, You know, one of the things that I I, I hate to say this because it it makes it sound like I hated everything else and I didn't, but one of the the things about this episode that I love so much is it's a small thing, but I love when they're in Sun Records with Sam Phillips and and he's recording Blue Moon of Kentucky uh, that the reflection in the glass pane is Michael St. Gerard. And and it works so well. I, I just, I love that shot.
0: Yeah, yeah. I noticed that too. I'm not sure if I had ever noticed that before, but yeah, I really appreciated that. Um, Oh, go ahead. I was going to jump back. You jumping back to uh, Melissa Bernheim and and her character. Uh, I remembered her being a bigger part of this episode, and I think it's because in just the few lines that she has in that one diner scene, um, like just the exchange between her and Sue Ann, where like Sue Ann's like, "Hey, this order's up." She ignores her. Mm -hmm. Hey, this order's up. I heard you the first time. Like, there is so much story told in those few lines between those two characters. I thought she was a bigger part of this episode than what she was.
1: Yeah. I think I did, too, to be honest with you. I think that's one of the things about this episode that's interesting is the fact that there are these characters that... that you know, only in a couple of scenes, including Gladys, for instance, you know, you mentioned you thought she was a bigger part of the episode. It's because of the way that the episode is kind of compartmentalized. Yeah. Think about that for a second. You have these storylines that end up being interwoven in a way and yet kept completely separate from one another. Like Sam's scenes with Gladys don't really add anything to the plot. No. You know? Um but obviously the scenes like with Sue Ann do, and Sue Ann and her sister while it doesn't, that, Those scenes don't necessarily add anything to the plot, the first diner scene. Obviously, later she adds something to the plot because she's the one that you know, kind of gets Sam to, Sam Phillips, that is, to listen to Sam slash Elvis, hmm. which Dewey Phillips has that disgusting line, like, this pretty young thing doesn't know how to lie. Yeah.
0: Yes. It's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> dude, come on. She's like yes.
1: 17. <laughs> let, 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 me, let, me,
0: let me copy it here. This pretty little thing doesn't know how to lie. <laughs> Do you, sweetheart? Which, even when I was a kid, I thought that was a le- weird fucking line reading of where he places the emphasis. Yeah. Not yeah. on lie, but how. Yeah. Doesn't know how to lie. Uh, yeah. Um,
1: so if I divorce myself for a moment from all of my cynicism about, about Elvis in this episode... uh. There is a lot of joy to be had in this episode. Uh, clearly, you know, I think that there was joy in making the episode. Um, I think that there, you know, that that the fun that they have with certain moments, like when Sam sings Dixie, uh, when Sam and Al are trying to come up with My Happiness... Uh, you mm-hmm. know, and and, and eventually so I was like, that's happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there, 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 yeah. there's, there's a lot of fun to be had in this episode. Yeah. And I suppose that, you know, as someone who obviously takes things way too seriously, it was hard for me to have a lot of fun with the episode. But when I stop taking things seriously and I think about this episode in that light, this episode is a hell of a lot of fun.
0: It is. I thought we were going to have two different takes on the show. I thought you were going to be the one who loved this episode And I was going to be (laughs) writing it hard. Um, I think it's usually because like I, uh, I typically watch our episodes on the day that we record them. Uh, So Mm I had watched this when we were going to record Wednesday morning. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so between also on top of Betsy Tuesday, Tuesday. Tuesday, Yeah. On top of, uh, on top of Betsy uh, having COVID, I forgot. I had forgotten this too. Um, Our internet was out in our entire neighborhood that entire morning. And that was a day that, that Betsy didn't take off work. Um, And so we couldn't record Tuesday afternoon because we knew that when the Internet came back, she was going to have to work nonstop, like to make up for the lost time in the morning. But anyway, I say that to say, like, I watched that episode Tuesday morning and I've had like three days to, you know, just kind of sit on it. Uh, Whereas I think if I had jumped right into recording uh, uh, Tuesday, I may have been a little bit more harsh on it. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. now it's like, oh yeah, this is just this is just a fun little vehicle to hear Scott Bakula sing. And you get you know all the fun moments that you mentioned uh when, when <laughs> Sam sings Dixie at the beginning and Al's commentary <laughs> throughout. Uh like yeah. I wish I was in Dixie, not were you know. Uh yeah. yeah. It's those moments. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um there, I like you. I, I watched it earlier this week, so you know I'm separated a little bit more in time than I usually am because usually it's the night before or the you know morning of our recordings is when I watch. Um, but uh, even then, I mean there there are things about this episode that, again, I think can kind of go either way. It doesn't make a strong case for itself in one specific way. And so, again, this, the side of me that takes things too seriously looks at all the stuff that Sam does in this episode and kind of wants to pull my hair out a little bit because I feel like, what, well, dude, come on, you know, get things, get, get your shit together. And then when I when I stop taking it so seriously, I look at it and I'm like, you know, in a way, this is a really great example of Sam's sort of quixotic mission in general. Because he believes, he believes so much in in himself and in in the people around him. He believes that he can save Sue Ann and keep things okay for Elvis. He believes it so much that he'll do anything. And so it's a really kind of wonderful example of who Sam is as, as a person. Because here he is running across town. To make sure Sue Ann doesn't go with Frank and then running back to the recording studio and then not taking no you know, for an answer in, in order to make sure that Elvis's career stays on track. And so it's like, no matter what happens, he is going to make things right for everybody. And so in a way, that's like just a wonderful example of who he is. Sure.
0: I think it's a point. I I don't think we mentioned that. It's a plot point of the episode that Sam was a huge fan of Elvis, that that, right. that he had programmed all of his music in into Ziggy. Um, yeah. And so that's um Part of why he knows Elvis's music so well,
1: which is funny because in the novel Prelude, you know which which when we cover the novels, we'll talk a little bit more about this. but in the novel Prelude, which takes place before the the beginning uh, of the series, um, there's a there's a scene in the novel where he's working on Ziggy and and you know there are a couple of other team members there with him, and one of them in particular remarks about the fact that she can hear. Sam, as he's walking down the hallway, you know, after a long day working on the computer, and he's singing multiple songs, like he's changing songs in between, like you know, he'll sure. sing a verse of this and then a verse of that. And the songs that that the writer has him sing are all songs that have been mentioned within the course of the series, including "The Impossible Dream" from *Man of La Mancha*. Um, I believe I can't remember which Elvis song it is specifically, but one of them is an Elvis song, and then there's another song that he's humming to himself or something like that. So it's kind of it's a nice nod to all of the songs that apparently are important to Sam sure. that make it their way into the the TV show proper.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's uh, it's also important to note. It just sprung into my head. One of the very first songs we hear on the pilot is "Hound Dog" um, That's true. as uh, uh, as Sam and uh, Bird Dog are are pulling out of the of the diner after Bird Dog pulling over because true to his nickname, you know, he sees the hot waitress walking across the parking lot. Uh, so in a way, it, it's kind of, of everything coming coming around full circle.
1: Well, and, and, you know, that's a good point to bring up, too, is that this is by no means the first time, uh, or, or was that the only time before this that we've heard Elvis music in the course of the series, which I think is just another uh, example of, of his importance um, to, 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 popular culture in the way that you can use a piece of his music to signify the time and place, you know, that, that, that you can, that, that it's not just one song. Like I can use Hound Dog and people, you know, who are or even just a little bit familiar, that's a touchstone for them to say we're in the fifties. You know, yeah. I could use Suspicious Minds and they're going to think that, you know, we're we're probably in the, you know, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. I can use Return to Cinder and we're in the mid 60s. You know, it's like those songs can put you in a specific time and place in a way that a lot of other music can't, you know, save for like the Beatles or, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, Queen obviously is super popular right now. I mean, I've always loved Queen. I'm a huge Queen fan, but, you know, people are, are even more into Queen now, I think, arguably than they have been in the past 10 years due to the, the movie, but, um... You know that that I mean that's one of the things music just does for us in general, and, and clearly being one of the biggest you know music acts in, in in our popular history. I mean, you can use his music to do that
0: in any kind of you know whether it's film or television. Sure. Yeah. To touch back on, I I, I touched on this in the episode leading up, and uh, maybe not do a, uh, a deep dive into it. I'll drop the link on our on our page in the in the show notes, but. Um, there was another episode of Revisionist History uh, where Malcolm Gladwell talks about why, why Elvis always screwed up the spoken part of Are You Lonesome Tonight? And uh, it was due to a thing called parapraxis, which has to do with emotion and memory. Um, and I'll drop it in. I can't do it justice trying to explain it, but it's really, really fascinating about how um, Elvis always screwed that up because it connected to a deep personal pain his own but uh right. yeah definitely definitely worth a listen
1: yeah yeah uh also worth mentioning um real quick that uh the actor who plays sam phillips gregory itson uh is a face that is very familiar um for a lot of reasons um he's actually <laughs> apparently there's a television program that he's going to be doing our film uh that is that is uh in production uh, and the name of it is Quantum Theory. So how about that? Interesting. Um,
0: when a defense but, uh, contractor steals next-gen reality-vending quantum technology, the two sassy geniuses who invented it will stop at nothing to get it back. That sounds like it's going to be a hit. Well, apparently he like um, he's, he's listed as, like, well, he's one of the leads, but it's listed by Star Meter. So maybe it's just because he has the most credits. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah.
1: Um, also probably recognizable to some listeners as playing, uh, President Charles Logan on 24. Oh, yeah. He was yeah in 44 yeah, yeah. episodes. Uh-huh. Um, he, uh, gets our Star Trek shout out, uh, for this week. Also, he was on two episodes of Star Trek Enterprise playing two different characters. Um, so he has, uh, been on a screen with Mr. Bakula again. Uh, he also played Phoebe's, uh, dad, uh, I believe, or, or father-in-law. Yeah, father-in-law uh, on Friends um, in two episodes—the one with Phoebe's wedding and the one with Ross's inappropriate song. Um, it, just lots of lots of credits uh, in film and television. You know, for the past oh gosh, going on what forty years. Um, and uh, uh, I, I think you know he's one of those. Actors that comes into this doesn't necessarily have a ton of to do, ton to do. Plays a, an iconic character and um, you know does it well and, and you know sells the scenes that he's in. Um, so certainly worth worth mention. Um, the episode, I think for the most part, people seem to um, enjoy it. Um, you know, there are some folks that that think it was unnecessary. Um, you know it's 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 kind of divided a bit over at the uh over at the 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 message boards at al's place um the mind reels um uh, they enjoyed it um actually i thought that it was a fun episode um and and you know that it was just a a good good opportunity to see you know scott kind of let loose a bit and just have some fun uh not be you know weighed down by anything too weighty um MacGyver Project, our buddy over at the MacGyver Project loved this episode, thought it was phenomenal, thought it was hilarious, well-acted, poignant, inspiring, and has amazing music. Um, so, you know, opinion is, is definitely a bit divided on this one. Uh, I do find myself, when I when I think about it, I'm torn. I, I wind up somewhere in the middle,
0: um, ultimately. Yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to end up loving this episode. I thought I was going to rip it apart, and uh, yeah. That's that's where I thought I, we were going to be, but yeah,
1: yeah. It's just it's strange. I was thinking about this earlier today, and there's probably got to be some sort of reason for it, and there's maybe a term for it or or whatever. But I remember when I was young, my dad um, didn't listen to his Elvis records a lot, um, and uh, you know he'd always buy every new CD. Um, you know he, he he would obviously make note of of time something new was coming out. Um, Still, you know, up until recently, uh, still did that. And uh, he probably listened to it maybe once or twice. Meanwhile, I listened to it until, you know, the wheels fell off. And he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't watch a lot of movies or television shows um you know whereas i would just want to watch it again and again and again like if there was a you know elvis marathon on his birthday or his death day you know uh, on tnt or whatever he wouldn't really watch any of those movies and i would watch them all and i find myself nowadays kind of being you know not in a similar places and like i will still listen to it and i will still watch some of these things but there are some things that i don't i don't connect to in the same way that i did like when i was younger like any of the biopics whether it was Elvis, like the one with Kurt Russell I was talking about, or Elvis and Me, uh, or that Heartbreak Hotel movie that I was talking about, or anything like that, even this episode, it's, for some reason, I have a harder time watching it. Like, I'll still listen to the music over and over and over again. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that is. There, it's like something that, that I immersed myself in so much, and, and used to just almost define myself by, and now it feels like there's, some, there's something strange about reaching out and touching that, that, that part of myself again and and engaging it. Uh, and so maybe that kind of has something to do with the way that I feel about this episode, um, and not being able to get, get on board with it. Maybe it's like, you know, maybe those memories are are kind of sacred in a way to me for whatever reason, you know, help to form who I am. And so now kind of touching those and having a different opinion on them, uh, it makes me kind of, you know, question certain things. Sure. Um, it's it's interesting the, the the way that we do that sometimes, but Uh, But overall, you know, look, like I said, it ends up being a hell of a lot of fun. And and, and it's not a great episode, but it's a fun episode. Um, Sam saves the day in the end. He does the right thing. He leaps out. And we get what is for my money. And I'm probably not alone in this. The greatest leap out in the history of Quantum Leap.
0: I remember watching this live. Yep, me too. Yep. And I think even... um, If memory serves me correctly, um, I watched the episode live that night because so many of them I recorded them and I watched them whatever the next day I watched the episode live that night. Um, There was the nightly news and then Jay Leno on NBC. And uh, important to note, like Jay Leno had just taken over from Johnny Carson like a year or two before. So it was kind of a novelty. And I remember in his opening monologue. Jay Leno announcing that quantum leap had been canceled. Uh, and he, and, and he kind of, and basically he, he kind of took a moment, like, like in the middle of his monologue of jokes, like he kind of took a moment to kind of like, uh, basically almost chastise NBC for canceling a quality program. And that it was a shame that shows like quantum leap get canceled. Um, and, and maybe this is a, a good point to leave off on, on one hand, I was really sad, but on the other hand, I was really happy because, you know, at the end of quantum leap meant Sam was going to get to go Tell home. Ah, uh,
1: jokes on you, buddy. <laughs> uh, no, you know, I, I, I actually think I had similar feelings, um, You know, I knew, I knew it was the, the last episode going into it and, um, I, I, I didn't necessarily know what to expect, but I certainly didn't expect, you know, what we got. Sure. Um, we'll talk, we'll talk about that next time, obviously, but the specifically the leap out, I do, I think this is the greatest leap out in the entire series. I think there are some great leap outs, you know, slash leap ends, whatever, uh, the, the uh, clearly, the leap home part one is is, is pretty damn great, um, but everything about this is so perfect. From Bruce McGill being just awesome, Bruce McGill, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from Sam, yeah. From Sam, you know, just there's something about like I, I can't put my finger on it, but I cannot as somebody who is who who, who, who you know doesn't drink anymore, um, you know, is in recovery. Like I there is something about Sam walking in and ordering a beer that just touches on something in a way. It's just kind of like, yeah, man, you, you, you earned that. Like
0: go in there oh, and get yeah. yourself a beer. Yeah.
1: You know, And I love that it's a Schlitz on tap. Like it sets a certain time and place. That's something you don't find today. Certainly and you weren't finding a lot in the nineties. Well, you might find it today, but you definitely didn't find it in yeah. 1993. And, 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 when he walks up to the bar, you know, and he pays his nickel for the, for the beer on draft. And 15 cents. It's just everything about yeah. it sets it up. Yeah. It's so lovely. And then he looks up into the mirror. Mm. And that, oh boy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like if anybody ever had any question, which after watching this show, I'm not sure how you could, of whether or not Scott Bakula was a great actor or not. What he does with that, oh boy, in sure. that moment. I mean, it's just. Yeah. It's everything.
0: It's everything. Um. Here's a, I, I'm going to make this comment and I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on it next week too but I want to throw this in this episode because uh, I do think with, with such an iconic episode listeners if you have a m- time go watch the final episode before you listen to our uh, to our next episode about I, I don't know it'd be interesting to know how many listeners actually do that how many if, if they watch the episode before whatever, however they do it but anyway um, I had only in the last year or so learned that bruce mcgill was in very heavily consideration for al yeah
1: yeah. al
0: calavici i wonder he he may have had a last name of calavici or anyway i don't know but anyway when i went back and i rewatched the episode after learning that it puts a new spin on the final episode because i love dean stockwell love dean stockwell would not have had any other choice it's interesting to watch this final episode and think, what would have been Quantum Leap? How would have been different if Bruce McGill had played Al? Because sure. I think we get a pretty good preview, a pretty good idea of what that would have been. Because they, yeah. cause they have an interplay that is very different from from Scott and Dean. And I think yeah. it would have worked differently, but I think it would have worked. Yeah,
1: I yes, I, I totally get what you're saying. I totally. Yeah. And I, I we should revisit that on the next episode because I, I don't disagree with you. And yet at the same time, there's a part of me that's kind of like torn because I do feel as though obviously Al would have been a very different character from the bartender. And yet when it comes to the chemistry, the interplay and some of the moments that they share, I told I, could, I couldn't agree with you more. Um and yet at the same time there there's this element of just kind of like I almost would have wanted him just to return as as the bartender. Do you know what I mean? Like if season six had happened, I would want Al still around, yes, but I'd want there to be a couple of episodes maybe where the bartender shows up. Oh god, that would have been interesting along the way.
0: Oh sure. And we can um and and we'll have to talk about this off mic, like how much uh we want to get to like the the discovered lost ending Mm. from a couple of years ago.
1: I think we should talk about. It. We, we we talked about it before, you know, sure. when, it, when it when it was when it when it came out, when it was put out uh, on the internet and everything. But, um, but yeah, I think we should definitely. Yeah,
0: dive and I and, I, m- and I make it a rule. Much love and respect to the Quantum Leap podcast. I'm, I've made it a rule to not listen to their podcast until after we get done yeah. ours because I don't want to be influenced by what they're doing. Um, but I do know that they actually interviewed the the person who released the uh, the footage. Like, like the master yeah, shot.
1: Yeah, Alison Prigler, she's, she's on the podcast now.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. But, uh, um, no, she found the negatives. But then a year later, um, a Reddit user released the actual, like, master shot, like footage uh, of it. And, okay, they, okay, and okay. they actually interviewed the, the, the Reddit user who, who actually right. released the video um got it so i got may it. I may go back and listen to that episode just because i wanna i wanna hear that story and how they got a hold of it and yeah, yeah,
1: yeah I know that as of as of this recording they uh are up to deliver us from evil sure um so they're they're still a ways uh a little ways behind us and they and they've been releasing intermittently obviously as 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 we've done over the past couple of years but, yeah um but uh, yeah, it's it's strange, you know. We, we when we release the final episode, we will be um, the first Quantum Leap podcast to, to finish up for better the whole show for
0: better or worse. Uh, yeah,
1: how about that?
0: I keep meaning to uh, like going back on our website. Oh, by the way, another thing, kind of a tangent. I've uh, our, our website had fallen into a horrible state of disrepair. Um, I, I hadn't been updating it. I've just been like posting the link from the actual uh, Podient, which is the host that we use to actually put out our podcast. But now our website right. now has all of the episodes that we've recorded up there. Uh, so go check it out. I want to. I'm going to give some more love to the website over the next few months. But I thought about just. Uh, uh, I, I, I I, I don't see the point of like this idea of contending with other podcasts. I've thought about just going through and just like dropping in the links and stuff to other quantumly podcast episodes. Cause, uh, uh, go, I mean, we all had a, we all have a different spin. Uh, yeah, exactly. Quantumly podcast has a different spin. Uh, I, I, haven't listened to the new incarnation, but just from what little bit I picked up, I, I think they, they have a very different tone than what we do. Uh, Becca to the future, obviously had a very different tone than what we do. Right. Uh, but yeah, go. Uh,
1: well, I, you know, I, I tend to look at it. I tend to look at it as like, you know, we're all part of the same conversation. And uh, even as someone who talks a lot, uh, you know, the, 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 the idea of a conversation is that every, you know, every voice deserves to be heard. And, yeah. and I certainly, you know, think that when it comes to um, the other podcasts out there. And I've never looked at anybody as competition um, on one, it would be you know silly to do that because Quantum Leap podcast has more resources than we do. Sure. Um, oh yeah. yeah. You know, um, a much more much more professional setup, and uh, you know, contacts that have netted them a number of interviews, including Scott Bakula himself. So, um, you know, like you said, they're they're a different they're a different part of the conversation than we are. And, yeah. You know, and I hope that I hope that other listeners that, that would come to us would realize that we're a different part of the conversation than than they are. Yeah. So. You know, I, I in this day and age, and in particular over this past year, uh, if anything, I think there's room for for all of the voices. And the fact that, like, you know, to the point where there's a there's you know, you, a point where you're just sort of like, oh my god, there's a lot of them out there. But you know, I swear, I've had friends over the past year. I've had two different friends, you know, come to me and be like, hey, I'm going to start a podcast, and it's just kind of like cool you know and as somebody who who's who's literally approaching the 200 mark in number of episodes that they've released between the two different podcasts it's just kind of like i I can't i can't i I barely remember staring down number one you know what i mean (laughs) like 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 it's like to the point now where it's just kind of like god starting now but there's room for there's room for everything you know
0: yeah and and, and to bring it back around to to our theater talk from earlier we both in storefront theater in chicago um, yeah, and, and to give you right. a perspective, storefront theater in Chicago, it's basically community theater, but it's done by people who approach it with a level of professionalism as if they were getting paid. It's like a full-time job on top of a full-time job. And while, well, and it,
1: to it, be fair, most of them are getting paid. It's just, you know, like, not much. Like a, yeah, like more like a token <laughs>
0: stipend, yeah. Um, right. But the thing is, it's, uh, I, I, I love doing storefront theater back when I did it. But the thing is, like, you would pour your heart and soul into a show. And you would have maybe 15, 20 people show up to a performance. Right. Sometimes you would cancel the show. Sometimes you would go ahead and do the show when the actual people, the number of people in the audience were less than the number of people on stage. Yeah. And the thing about a podcast is even as very admittedly niche as our little podcast is, (laughs) I think our episode with the least number of downloads is 75 and that's very modest, but Hey, with our little podcast, we're reaching more people than what I did doing storefront theater.
1: Well, and you know, the other thing that's been extremely gratifying kind of piggyback on that, and, and maybe this is a conversation best left for, you know, after we finish up, but that said, you know, looking to, um, Looking to the episodes that we initially released, you know, going back two years, three years, you know, and seeing the number of people that have gone back and downloaded those episodes. You know, the fact that when you look back on the past hundred and, you know, 102, whatever, how many episodes we've done total, that we've got over 17,000 downloads. And that is just... Like you said, you know, comparing that to, you know, a run of a couple of shows, you know, that, that we've done and having, uh, you know, a house maybe of 20 people a night, you know, for, for eight shows, you know, or eight weeks, depending on the show or whatever, you know, it's like it it really is um, very gratifying. Yeah. And, and, and it is meaningful because it means that as a part of the conversation uh, that's taking place about this niche subject matter, you um, That people do want to hear our voices, you know, and not everybody does, you know, some people might download a few episodes and decide we're not for them. And they're never going to hear this anyway, because they're not going to make it to this episode. But, (laughs) um, (laughs) or, you know, the other thing that I appreciate, too, I appreciate that we know that there are people out there that only download certain episodes. Oh sure. That that maybe they only wanted to hear our leap home episodes, you know? It's like it's like they love Quantum Leap but they but they really only love the, you know these episodes enough to like listen to a podcast about them or whatever. And sure. and and you just left saying like how cool is that? You know, that people are like wanting to engage with this show in, in, in a way. And I think it's a testament ultimately not to us but to quantum, Leap, oh god, no. It's a testament to the fact that, like the people, you know, that, that that the people that love this show, like we do, you know, that 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 they want to kind of get their fix in any way possible, and you know, our our little podcast is one of the ways to do that. So it's it's really really great, and it's and it's been wonderful, and you know, it's the reason why one of the ideas that we have for the future of the podcast is to go back and revisit certain episodes with guests hosts sure you know that we didn't necessarily do the time before um so so i i just I, i'm grateful for that and you know being the day after thanksgiving yeah. <laughs> uh one of the things that i am so thankful for uh, is the opportunity to have to have done this podcast and 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 you know to have done this podcast with you specifically uh, i sure as hell couldn't imagine doing it with anybody else and um i you know and i'm grateful for all the people that take the time to, to listen to us and um You know, next next week is going to be interesting.
0: Bittersweet, yeah. We're back at you, Sam. Yes, and uh, yeah, I'm under no. I mean, uh, yeah, we call ourselves like Fate's Wide Wheel, a quantumly podcast with Sam and Dennis. But we know that next week we could put in two other verbose white guys talking about it, and half of you wouldn't even notice that that those were different. You just want to hear people talking about your favorite show, and that's fine. That's great. Uh, we could totally get Koi advanced, and no one, and no one would ah! ever know. And if you know that reference, I love you even more. I'm going to
1: spoil that reference real quick, because if you think we're ever going to do a Dukes of Hazard podcast, <laughs>
0: you're out of your mind. <laughs> no. no. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that's our, uh, yeah. this is our longest episode in a while.
1: Well, you know we've had what can I say? We've had we've had a lot to talk about that hasn't necessarily been about this episode, but you know, absolutely, yeah. But any yeah, of the I'm, random Elvis facts that you wanna you wanna throw out at us?
0: Uh, God, no more. Yeah, maybe I'll find some more and I'll I'll, I'll link them in. But uh, yeah, and, okay. and, you, and you, I'll give
1: you one. I'll give you one. I'll part with this. If anyone needs to know the secret to uh, the proper fried peanut butter and banana sandwich. Which Elvis did indeed love and enjoy It's that you have to mash the bananas And the peanut butter up together As like a paste You can't just put peanut butter and then slice some banana On the sandwich, you gotta like mash it together Alright And the other secret is is that you lightly toast the bread And you, and you, and you, and you butter it Before you throw it Into the frying pan
0: please, That please. comes
1: directly From Elvis' uncle's cookbook I'm please, not joking
0: Please do a video and post that on the page <laughs> Do a little have to.
1: I bet my daughter would absolutely love that oh, if God, I made her yeah. one of those sandwiches. She loves peanut butter. She loves bananas. She Today, for her snack, she's just like, I want a banana. I'm like, all right, fine. She got a banana, peeled that thing, just walked around the house looking so proud, chomping on her banana. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> that's amazing. So anyway, there you have it, folks. That's how you make a proper fried peanut butter and banana sandwich.
0: Excellent. Well, on that note... <laughs> Uh, We'll be back Hopefully next week Hopefully sooner than later uh, Yeah To talk about We can make it happen To talk about The final The final episode
1: Mirror Mirror image image.
0: Yeah (sighs) Brace yourselves folks (laughs) There'll be tears
1: There probably will be
0: Mostly our kids Crying off mic But yeah There'll be tears
1: Alright Alright everyone Hey take care of yourselves In the meantime Thank you so 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 much For
0: listening Um it's
1: time to leap out of here. Yeah, don't you think? yeah.
0: We'll see you next time. Bye.